Welcome to Ellas, a bi-weekly podcast made by Latinas for Latinas. I talk with talented, inspiring, and empowering women that are living their dreams and making a path for the next generation. I'm Brenda hernandez Caimes, and this is Ellas. Hola, welcome back to Ellas. I'm your host, Brenda hernandez Caimes, and I want to thank you, my listeners, for joining me again here on this empowering conversation. And to any new listener, I want to say gracias for taking the time to of your schedule to tune in to AES. You know, AES is about sharing these empowering conversations with inspiring Latinas who are creating an impact in their lives, in their career, and ultimately in our community. And which brings me to announce this big news and recent um, honor. AES was recently named as a must-listen podcast for high schooler and up listeners by Etre Girls. And this just motivates me to continue doing this work and to share these inspiring conversations with empowering Latinas, which also brings me to today's guest. For episode 41, I have the honor of introducing Lorena Soriano. So before I go into Lorena's bio, I want you to imagine a world where Alexa what had been launched as a multilingual subtech device and not have waited four to five years later to be multilingual, to have this feature. And to imagine we're living in a world where all these tech devices and things that we utilize in a day-to-day basis comes with these features. Well, that change is ultimately needs to be given by the inside. And the woman, my guest, who is making the work to create this change is Lorena Soriano. So Lorena is a founder and CEO of Every Point One, where she believes Every Point One matters when you're changing the stats to ensure we all have an inclusive and equitable future in STEM. Lorena is a community leader, keynote speaker, Forbes fellow, three times founder, and ardently supports those changing the world. A believer in following her dreams and passions, Lorena left corporate America to pursue her own dream of becoming a woman in STEM. While completing her BS in biochemistry, she found an inclusive woman in STEM community and who supported one another and inspired her to create Every Point One, where she demands change on a daily basis. A staunch advocate for physical and digital networking, she believes that community and collaboration are keys to success. She's living her ultimate dream of marrying STEM and business. Please welcome Lorena Soriano. Hola, Lorena. Hola, Bren. I'm so excited to be here today and on the episode where you announced that amazing award and accomplishment. I'm so excited. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. This this episode is going to be fun because we're, we're going to share like your accomplishments. I just shared an accomplishment, accomplishments of ellas, but I love that we're combining our journeys. You know, like I get to share your journey. I get to share your accomplishments and what you're ultimately changing for the STEM industry and our world and our lives. And it's an honor that you're doing it here with AES and with me. So thank you. Thank you. So before I start every conversation, I like to begin sharing, you sharing with me and our listeners, who is Lorena? 
Lorena's a girl and a woman that truly believes that we can all change the world. And this is different for all of us, where if you follow me on Instagram, I have the handle girl change the world. We can change it. For me, my focus is on women empowerment. It's diversity in STEM. It originally started because growing up, I wanted to be a scientist and doctor, but never had that representation. I had never seen a Latina or a woman of color doctor, and I didn't think it was possible. The closest thing that I had to a scientist was Bill Nye the Science Guy, you know, whenever the teacher would roll him in on the TV. And so ultimately, I didn't pursue that dream that I had. And I ended up, I say I played it the safe route because I went the business route, which felt safe, secure. I, my very first job, I ended up going into a Fortune 30 company, which my parents loved because number one, they knew the company, they could pronounce the name, and they said that it was stable. So I busted my butt and I got in the habit of every single year, I would get a promotion after promotion. It almost got to the point where, hey, okay, the clock is ticking. We're almost at the 12 months. Where's that promotion? So I definitely advocated for myself. And whenever I had a new manager, it's like, hey, this, these are the types of things I'm looking to accomplish. What are all the steps that I'm going to need to take? Having that mentality helped me excel in that first Fortune 30 company. Then I moved to another Fortune 500 company. And during that time, I had the opportunity to move across the country for a big promotion. It was actually to Miami. I was living in Las Vegas at the, at the time, but in Miami, I felt, oh my God, yes, there's going to be other Latinos. I could like play my music. The weather's going to be awesome. There's weather, like the beach and everything. And I was so ready to make that jump. But then I said, is this what my life is going to be like for the next 10, 15, 20 years? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll make good money. But ultimately, am I giving back? Am I quote unquote changing the world? And I said, if I've accomplished all of my goals and dreams thus far, then why can't I pursue that little childhood dream that I had? And so during that time, I ended up, I I say I quit, but my managers were like, no, we're going to figure out a way to make this work. So I became a full-time employee, which was working like 60 hours a week and a full-time student. And for the first time in my life, I didn't really succeed because I was pouring on, you know, both ends and really like burning myself out. Ultimately, six months after doing that, I quit and went to school full time. And during that time, while I was completing, I went into bio pre-med because I wanted to be the doctor, but I loved organic chemistry so much. And I don't know if I loved it just because of the content, but I was told organic chemistry is going to be the hardest class that you're going to take in your undergrad. And I said, okay, that means I need to start studying beforehand. And I did. So Whenever we would have lecture, I had already like read the book. I did Mm -hmm. my notes. I reviewed my notes. So when I would get in there, I'm like, yes, I understand everything that you're saying. So I passed both semesters with A's and maybe because like, I love that I understood it and I love that I did it. I loved chemistry so much. So I went from a bio pre-med to a biochem and, you know, long story short, it turned out where I didn't become a doctor because having volunteered at hospitals, I was like, you know what, I'm not really going to be able to make a change here. There still are so many steps that you have to take, you know, in becoming a doctor in order to get things approved. And being a scientist, the only exposure I had was a white cis old male, <laughs> like for a scientist that had no personality. And I love that we have video today because you can see like, I'm very like bubbly and loud. But I had never seen a scientist like that where I thought, oh my God, they're not going to accept me. And I, having like it's gone through all of that, I also saw that I did not have a single Latina professor in any of my STEM classes. So once again, the whole representation thing, you know, long story short, it turned out to where everything that I've done, everything that I've experienced, you know, has led us to every point one. 
and I am the girl behind it, which is Girl Change the World. So seriously, like anything from, you know, back to being three and four or pursuing those dreams, we can change the world. Or if somebody like, you know, somebody or something rub you the wrong way last week and you're like, no, I want to change the world for the better because of this, we can change it. So that is who Lorena is, somebody who believes that we can change the world. <laughs> That's awesome. I think that, so you, you were, let's unpack because there's a lot of things that just makes me so interested and like excited to like peel. You wanted to be a doctor since you were very young. So then you went into corporate America and then you just exceeded, you know, everyone's expectations yourself. You accomplished so much. Let's go back into that. Like, how were you able to demonstrate, to show your worth to the companies that you were in, the big fortune companies that you were in, and really have advocate for yourself and seeing your team and supervisors advocate for yourself to grow inside these companies. How was that journey like? Yeah. So the Fortune 30 company was actually Wells Fargo. So I remember, (laughs) this is hilarious because I was in my, I was still living at home. I was in my bedroom and I had just recently applied. So I completed my application. I waited like two to three days, didn't get a phone call. And I called the branch, which was my home branch. It was a branch that was maybe 10 minutes away down the street from where my parents lived. And I said, hi, my name is Lorena. I'm calling because I applied and I'm looking, I'm calling to schedule my interview. And so right there, like I was very like assertive. I didn't even say like, Hey, have you received my application? I'm very interested. It's like, no, I'm calling because I'm calling to schedule this interview. And I could tell that manager, she was a little like taken aback where she's like, um, okay. And so she's like, let me look in the system. And so she pulled me up. I was like, yeah, so, you know, next week I'm available this day and this day. And she's like, okay, let's get you scheduled. So I think that was the very first step where I went in there and I'm like, this is who I am and this is how it's going to be. And so obviously I got the job and I still remember, and I want to chat about this later, but there was this, I call her a teeny tiny woman because I'm five feet tall and she's also five feet tall she's five years older than I am. She was a couple of um, promotions ahead of where I was. And she was just like walking the floor, super powerful and dominant. And all I said is, how can I be who she is? Because I love the power that she has. And she's a Latina as well. And so one day I had lunch with her. We ended up taking it at the same time. And I was so nervous like Mm -hmm. to approach her because it's like super powerful. You just not five feet tall, but still it's like, you knew who she was. Yes. And so I asked her, so, um, can you tell me how you got to where you got? And I just like, shut up. She started telling me, well, this is what I did. This is what I did. And I said, okay, very cool. So now I know all of the steps. And I started asking her, what about your job? What are the things you have to do? And so what I started doing that same afternoon, I started actually doing tasks that were going to help her succeed in her role. So I demonstrated, you know, my worth and that I was valuable to her. Therefore, she kind of took me under her wing and my managers knew that I wanted the job that she had. She knew that I wanted the job that she had. And it was three jobs ahead of where I was. But in one year, I skipped two promotions. So I was right underneath where she was. When she left, they knew that I was already, I had been groomed for that position. So it was one where I knew what I wanted. I kept my eye on the prize. And every single meeting, like actually I demanded one-on-ones with my supervisors. So I can say, this is 
pretty much for me to be able to brag about all of the things that I've done and, okay, what am I missing? What are the other things that I need to do? Mm -hmm. So it was from day one, just me being who I am. And I'm the little short girl that always like is loud, demands what she wants. She'll smile at you. My mom actually has a story um, when we were in Mexico. I don't remember because I was very, (laughs) very young, but I would always smile at everybody. And apparently this lady on the bus did not smile at me. So I pinched her. (laughs) And so, yeah, yeah, I pinched her because she didn't smile back at me. But it's one where it's like, you're going to notice me because you're going to notice me. But it's like, let's be good, happy, smile, you know, the whole way through. But even growing up, I always thought the world was such a happy place because everybody was smiling back at you. But I later learned it's because I was the one that was first smiling. Mm -hmm. They would see me smile and they would reciprocate that. But Yep. So that's how I was able, you know, climb that ladder. I let it be known. This is what I was trying to accomplish. And I I demonstrated my worth time after time. I love that confidence in you and really knowing what you want and that clarity. Where was that as cultivated in your childhood? Who, Who parent or family member, professor maybe, that really helped you cultivate that confidence because I feel like the fa- that foundation is so necessary once we're out in the world and like we have to have that you know support that our family advocates for ourselves in order for us to do the same once we're in our careers. I think it's two things that happen. So I always say I am a perfect blend of my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. My dad is the very assertive like traditional macho like Mexican man where you know power comes in he when he came to this country didn't know the language but it's one where he's like I'm speaking English if you can't understand me like it's your fault because I'm speaking your language you know so it's I come from that and then my mom is you know she's a social worker by trade so it's just the kind and the giving so I think just like putting those two together where yeah I come in and I'm not just straight up demanding but it's where I know that the services or what I'm bringing to the table like will complement what you're needing so let's you know make that partnership or make that friendship happen so I think I approach it from both sides and another thing that I think got me the confidence because I later learned in life when it's just for me I will kind of hesitate and when I say it's just for me it means if I'm the only one that's going to benefit from me having that confidence, mm-hmm. I will sometimes be like, well, do I do it? Do I not? But when it's to benefit somebody else, oh, you better believe that confidence shows up like that. And I'm the oldest, but the shortest, but that means I was the one to learn English in my family first, where mm-hmm. I could have a conversation. I, I joke and I say my mom would prestarme, so she would lend me to my aunt. So whenever we had to go to the doctor appointments or to the lawyers, I was always the translator, didn't know all the words, but it's one where it's like, I knew enough to string them along. And I knew that it meant that I was helping my mom or my family. So that's where I think I started developing the confidence because I was having these serious conversations with adults, with doctors and with lawyers where, okay, my mom is saying this and this is what she wants. And so, you know, I was speaking like the little adult. So I think all of those things happen in order for me to have that type of confidence that I have now. (laughs) So amazing to hear because it really having that confidence for to benefit for others is definitely a demonstration of what you do for in your history of being an entrepreneur, right? And then currently with EverPoint One, it's definitely that connection that goes along the way, and that's really inspiring. So let's go back. So you were in Wells Fargo, and then you decide to 
change companies. And that's when you start looking more into your education and just going back to that dream of being when you were younger. I think it's great that to know that the company you're, you were in was supporting you in that way of like, yeah, you can go back to school. We're going to, you're going to be a full-time you know, employee and you can also go to school. Like that's, I think it's also very rare, but I think with companies that really know the value of their employees and their team will do that investment in their employees. So can you share that journey of how that came to happen? How did you advocate to be a full-time employee while also focusing on your education? Yeah. So the company that I moved to, I actually ended up being the youngest one in that position. Mm -hmm. Um, The people were about seven to 10 years older than I was in the same role. So I went in there with super like confident attitude. And just from week one, I started showing what my worth and how I could contribute to the team. I was a solo performer. So it meant I had my individual quota, which played into the larger team but it's one where I kept demonstrating my worth and I kept hitting all of my metrics. And two years later was when that opportunity did come Mm -hmm. up, you know, to either move across country or, you know, stay here or, and go back to school. And so it was hard because I'm one where, you know, you respect your elders, you respect like authority and everything. And I didn't even think it was going to be possible. So I was prepared to quit. I was prepared to quit I remember going to not my manager, but my manager's manager. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's actually something. Let's let's talk about that too. When you said, how are you able to be successful? I always had great rapport with my manager's supervisor. And not at Wells Fargo, but at the next company, which was ADP. That one, I had weekly one-on-one coaching with my manager's manager. So that's one of those where I had not only my manager advocating for me, but their manager too. And they knew how I thought, what I wanted to accomplish. So we were, we would collaborate weekly Friday, every time, like at 2 PM, that's whenever we would have our chat. But, um, yeah, so there's that. And I'm so sorry. Can you remind me of the question of what we were talking about? Actually? Yes. We'll go to that question, but I want to ask you, that's something rare, rare and depends on the person, because I would imagine if you're so connected with the manager of your manager, how do you smooth things over so they, your manager doesn't feel that you're like overstepping in a way or not, create, not seeing the value that they have or to bring? I think that's also very important. Yeah. So... I'm trying to think back to how that happened, but it was one where, okay, the, my manager's manager was the same level manager as my manager. When I first started at the company, mm-hmm. I actually had one of my interviews with him and I thought he was going to be my, my manager. I ended up having a different manager, but number one, it's like, I knew him on the same like managerial level when he moved up. It was one where I think it's so important as employees to know what type of coaching style you need. Technically, it's the manager's responsibility for them to know, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, employee A likes to be coached this way and supported this way. Because some, you know, it's very hands-on. Others are, I just leave you to do your work and you do that. Others, it's like you check in with me. And so I approach it on the side where I know what type of coaching I need. I need, you know, share with me examples. If you tell me this is how you did it, I can start getting ideas and then go on my own and make them my own. So it was that where I remember having the conversation where actually with him, 
just one time like out at lunch and it's like, Hey, you know, I'm realizing these are the types of things that I want to accomplish. So then he was the one that's like, you know what, let's go ahead and start meeting. And it started with just like once a month. And then little by little, I would knock on his door like, Hey Brad, do you have some time for us to go ahead and chat? And then it, it turned into 30 minutes to then an hour where it's like, Hey, let's just go ahead and get on the calendar. And I remember saying, Hey, do you mind if we, you know, make this like a regular thing? Once he said yes, then I asked, do you want me to go ahead and talk to, you know, Shannon or are you going to be the one to talk about it? Went down the office and was like, Hey, you know, have been getting a lot of great advice from Brad. I want to keep this going. So I just wanted to let you know. And it's one where she's benefiting off of me being, you know, successful and ultimately like it's a win-win. So it's definitely like the way that you approach it. And also, I remember the question that we were talking about before about <laughs> that's Let's just transition to that. Perfect. So I, I told him, you know, I, like I said, I was prepared that I was going to have to quit because there is no way that this company was going to bend the rules to do this. And I went in there. I needed that I had money in the bank account because that's how I was going to pay for school. And one manager this, he kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. was like, huh, are you sure that you want to do this? They're like, you know, in a couple of years, you're going to be making the same amount of money as a doctor is. And I was a little surprised because I said, I'm not doing this because of the money, because Mm -hmm. you're right. If I was doing this because of the money, I would just stay here. And once I explained that this is what I'm trying to do and, you know, I'm going to have to leave. I think because I was such a great employee performer for them they didn't want to lose me and they were willing to figure this out where they said, okay, what's your schedule like? And then we talked about it. I, I, I say I whiteboarded because I love whiteboarding and we figured out how it would go ahead and work. Like I said, it was a little bit easy in the beginning. And then as classes really ramped up, it was hard where for the first time in my life, I was starting to fail where, and I felt like I was just working like crazy because I was still working that 60 hour job. I was working or going to school more than the 20 hours. And I just felt like I kept giving and giving and giving, but I wasn't getting the results. And so after six months of doing that, that's where I knew like I had to draw the line. I approached them again. They said that we could make stuff work, but it's one where I had to draw the line. So it was the first time that I actually like prioritized this big goal and dream. And yeah, so (laughs) that's how it it worked out. I think that is so great that you I think we overwork ourselves and when we don't see the benefits that's coming to us, we have to create those boundaries. And it's really hard to do that and like to really respect once those boundaries are put in place, right? So let's fast forward. You didn't see, you know, you were in the hospital. You're like, I don't see that change, you know, occurring. You want to go, you want to create a deeper change. And Throughout the years, I think your path, your journey is amazing because you didn't take the traditional route. Um, you were you had that clarity always, and you created these relationships, relationships, networked, and you know you had to do what you do and like go, went to biochem, and that's when ultimately your first opportunity as an entrepreneur came. So. Let's go into that. How was that like? What sparked you to create, um, was it, yes, Global Girls Give? And what were you in in the time of your life, career-wise and also emotionally, I guess, because that also drives you to start it. 
You, you actually said something that just resonated with me right now where you said you were not the traditional, you didn't take the traditional path and you're 100% correct. And here's the thing. I actually felt like a failure because of not being traditional. You see all of these people where everybody in my classes, you know, the entry level pre-med bio classes, everyone was valedictorian, you know, at their high school Mm -hmm. and you're going with people where they knew they've been wanting to do this and be this since they were little and throughout elementary school, middle school and high school, they took all of the steps, you know, to make sure that that thing would happen. And for me, I didn't, it was where I went from here, went from there and then finally found that. And I felt, I felt like a failure because it's like, Lorena, why couldn't you have figured this out before you've been wasting time? And it's one where you feel like time, you can't ever get back, but it's, I had to go through that path to really realize that this is truly what I wanted. So that way, when it was those nights where, oh my God, I feel like I need to drop out or, oh my God, will I be able to do this? I saw the big, like my why or why I actually had to do this. And yeah, it had to, it had to happen. But to answer your question, so Global Girls Give was my first my first venture, you know, that made me have that entrepreneur title. And I I love telling the story about Global Girls Give because I say it's an accidental nonprofit. It was never part of my plan to open or launch a nonprofit at the time that I did. I had just moved to Seattle. I knew nobody but my husband. And that's the reason why we moved it to Seattle. He had a great opportunity. He's He's in STEM as well. He's a rocket scientist. So he's building rockets, moved up here. And like I said, I didn't know anybody. I made a post on social media, which said something like starting a girl gang of supportive women. So if you want in, let me know if we get enough women, we're getting jackets. I posted it like, okay, cool. Maybe somebody that lives in Seattle, like will reach out or we can continue the conversations going. And I had over 300 women like raise their hand, the raising hand emoji saying, I want to be a part of this. Let's build this. And that night when I made the post, like I said, I didn't think it was going to be something like for real. So I put my phone down because that's a rule I have whenever I'm eating. I always put my phone face down, made the post, put my phone face down, started eating. And after dinner, I opened up my phone and I just saw all of the notifications. So I told my husband, I guess we're doing this thing. (laughs) And it was one where I didn't know if it was going to be a business or not. I just knew, hey, let's start this off as a community. And here's the funny thing. I come like all the jobs that I've had have always been at large fortune 500 companies. So all of the tools and the software, they're like the big brands that you pay thousands of dollars to be able to have. So when I launched this, um, I launched a little survey because I said, I want to know what the women want out of the community. I want to know what they're willing to put into the community as well. I typed it in as a Microsoft Word document and I sent it out to people and I started getting back Google Docs and I was like, okay, like let me convert them over to like Microsoft Word documents. And I had somebody reach out saying, why didn't you send this out as a Google form? And you you know, Google Forms is essentially like a survey. I didn't even know these things existed. So like that's the type of skill that I was coming, you know, with. And I share this because it's one you don't need to know everything in order to just get started. You'll learn along the way. But long story short, so made the post, started reaching out with the women, started meeting with them. And when there were about like five of us that we said, okay, we are actually going to volunteer our time to get this going. We decided let's make it into a nonprofit because at the time I thought that's the only way, you know, that you give back to your community Mm because we're always told like for-profit companies, 
they're just wanting to, you know, take money and pay the CEOs and they're not giving back to the community. So yeah, we ended up going um, the nonprofit route. And at that time, had just recently moved to Seattle, started just keeping my head down. I had met one real friend that I would consider a friend. And we had really only met once. When I got here, I signed up for Bumble BFF. I, have you heard it? Have yes. you heard about it? Yes. Okay. So at that time, all I knew was Bumble was a dating site. And I met my husband, how many years prior? Maybe like three or four years, four years prior on match.com. So I told him, I said, Hey babe, I'm downloading Bumble because I want to do Bumble BFF, but I'm letting you know that it has to be the Bumble version. Yeah. <laughs> so I told him that I met an amazing woman. Her name is Karina Patel. We met one time and around this time I had, I had been telling her about the idea. This is what I want to do. She was traveling a lot at the time, like clearly pre COVID days, but she came back into town and I said, okay, this is where I'm at. She's like, count me in. I'm sold. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. And at this time I had just started working again, like a nine to five job. I was actually in New York for two weeks, like for training for work. And that weekend in between the two weeks, all my coworkers were like going out and exploring and I'm in my hotel room just doing like interviews to bring people on. I think I had like 10 hours worth of meetings that day. And so that's the space where I was at. I was trying to juggle like a new job, clearly mm -hmm. going through training, juggling how to do a nonprofit where I had no experience, but that's what got me like into the entrepreneurial space. And because of the work that we had done at Global Girls Give, that's how I was able to become a Forbes fellow and the Forbes fellowship program. I flew up to Boston where they had the Forbes 30 under 30 summit that year. And I met people from all over the world that were wanting to change the world based on their strengths and their passions. And for the first time, I truly felt like, Hey, I could be an entrepreneur. These are my people. They're doing it too. So I left with a whole bunch of contacts and a lot of people where they're like, yes, I love the work that you're doing. Like, let's help and support one another. So that's what got me into the entrepreneurial space. That's amazing. Oh my God. And okay. Just, you just shared with us so many golden nuggets, but I want to ask you, how are you able to trust in yourself and to be proud of your journey when back in school, you felt like a failure? Because looking back now, I think your corporate background is definitely helping you now. And I feel, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. What you learned and how you were so assertive ultimately might like would have helped you while you were studying in school. So I think it's definitely important to like in those moments of like failure, even though you forget all the accomplishments and the hard work that you do, you did. How did you remind yourself of like being proud of what you've done? So right now, and I started it this year, I, my husband and I were doing 12 months of champagne because mm -hmm. rather than waiting till the end of the year to celebrate our accomplishments, let's be real new year's Eve, we put our list, but we forget a lot of like the teeny tiny things that add up into everything. And so 12 months of champagne, we have a little notebook where whenever there's like a win or a, something good that happened, we go ahead and we write it out. So that way at the end of every month, we'll go ahead and open up a bottle of champagne and celebrate. Mm -hmm. And so back to my corporate America days, I would always write the things where, Hey, I did this and this is going to make me stand out. So it's, I think people call them now your brag book. Mm -hmm. I always had like a word document that I would pull up and do that. And so I think here, little by little, I started remembering like, Oh my God, I had this win. Like 
there is one time my physical chemistry classes probably or quantum chemistry was one of my hardest classes ever. Mm -hmm. And the very first test I failed, I got a D on it. And from there, it's like, okay, let me go ahead and just study, ask for help. And I ended up getting an A on the next one. So it's just those little wins, whenever, Mm -hmm. however small they are, celebrate them, celebrate them because the thing is they all add up. And one thing that I love doing is I actually go back and I scroll through my own social media. Sometimes you'll see me post on my stories, a post from like a year or a year and a half, because I go to it, I go through it and I find one and it's like, damn, like Lorena knew what she was talking about. Like who knew that this, something she wrote a year and a half ago was going to be hitting her, you know, present day today. So it's things where I celebrate the little things because Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome is so real. And especially for women in STEM, women of color in STEM, Latinas in STEM, we don't have that representation. So whenever we feel like we're not following the traditional path or we take a step off, we feel like we're failing, but it's really, you know, no, maybe I took one step and I might have to take the step back, but guess what? if I'm ever presented with the opportunity of taking that step again, I know either not to do it or to do it differently. And you said the word failures. I think it's been, I don't know how long, but I actually called them lessons learned Mm -hmm. because failures does still have that negative connotations, but your lessons learned, you learned it. It's a lesson. It stays with you. And we have conversations, you know, like we're having here and I'll share, Hey, these were my lessons learned. It took me maybe three months, you know, to go through that lesson learned and ultimately master it. But because I'm sharing these hacks and these tips with you, maybe you can master that in one month or less and not have to go through the lesson learned path. So, (laughs) yeah. And I love that, you know, going after, after you were in Seattle and then the, the same women that were interested in being part of global girls give, um, were like teaching you, Oh, you can do it like this. It's much easier. And like you were, while you were creating this change, you were also learning. And, you know, obviously now you apply these lessons to um, um, every point one. And now I'm interested, a Forbes fellow, like how does that happen? Like maybe a listener is interested. I know things have changed perhaps with COVID, you know, no one now goes to the event physically. And I guess it's virtual networking event. Um, But when your time, how was that? How did those doors open for you? And just... Yeah. How, how was like, how can that, how can one make that happen? Yes. Okay. So I did a takeover on the own trail account, which that's an account that all of us Latinas should go ahead and, and follow. So own trail is where you can go ahead and share your story because let's be real. A lot of us don't have the time to do one-on-one mentorship. So mm-hmm. because you share your trail, your journey, another woman can go ahead and learn. So I ended up doing a takeover on their account and somebody asked that exact same question. How did you become a Forbes fellow? So I shared all of that right there. And a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, my friend Prasha from her STEM story, she interviewed the current Miss America, who is a woman in STEM. And if you listen to that podcast episode, she says that the way that she was able to become Miss America, step one is I applied. A lot of times we think, oh, somebody has to reach out to you where it's like, you have been doing amazing work. We think you would be a great candidate, you know, for Miss California, therefore Miss America. And the same exact thing happened for the Forbes Fellowship Program. 
one of the women that was part of Global Girls Give, she was living in UK at the time. She came across this Forbes article where it was talking about this is the first year that there's going to be a Forbes fellowship, like all the benefits, all the things that you get, and then how you can apply. So applying. And at that time, because like you said, it was pre-COVID, I was visiting my mom in Las Vegas. I was getting ready to go out to dinner with one of the other girls that was part of Global Girls Give, and she was part of um, the women in STEM and at UNLV where I did my undergrad. And I, the application deadline, it had to, it had to be like that night at midnight. So I wasn't going to apply, but I had told my husband, Hey, this would be such a great opportunity. And he's like, yeah, go ahead and do it. And I said, no, you know what? I don't have the time. I'm not going to go ahead and apply. He's like, Dorena, apply. So I went through the application. I filled in all of the information. They ask you just about your background, what you're working on. And in only a hundred words or less, you have to pitch them on why you should become a Forbes fellow. You also have to choose, I think they had about 23 different tracks where are you social entrepreneurship? Are you VC? Are you management? Are you technology? What are all the different tracks? So I typed it up and I had, I sent it over to him for him to go ahead and prove. And I submitted it. And I feel like, I don't know how many weeks later I was sitting back home in Seattle. I was taking my lunch which before I take my lunch, like I said, I put my phone down, but before I put it down, I was like, okay, let me go ahead and check my emails. I saw the email where it's like, Lorena, congratulations. And just being accepted. I thought I was getting like punked or pranked, but nope, it was real. But see, it's that it's just, it's applying. So with us having access to the internet, put the Google search keywords. What are all the things like fellowships or applications and tell your friends like, Hey, I'm wanting to do a Ted talk. And we know that there's so many TEDx talks now where you can say, I'm wanting to do a TEDx talk in San Francisco. Well, who knows? Maybe a friend knows somebody that knows somebody. And that's something where we can, we can talk about like the five people that we should have, you know, in our lives for helping those things happen. But ultimately is you have to convince yourself that yes, you want to do this. And two, if it requires applying, which a lot of things do apply. So I think I made a tweet a couple days ago where it's Miss America said, I just applied. Lorena says, I just applied. So just apply. Yeah. And I think a couple of weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago, you had Gloria, you know, she Kem was on your podcast. She's actually the one that introduced me to AES and she just got a fellowship, which is going to allow her to be pretty much put her on the track to become a professor in some of the Cal State schools. So she applied as well, apply, because let's be real, the president, the whoever, the owner, they're not going to come knocking on your door to say, hey, we think you are a great candidate for this. Similar to with work, you have to advocate for yourself. And when it comes to opportunities like this, heck yeah, apply and brag about yourself. Yes. I think we have to be our own cheerleaders because if we're not doing it, then as you said, you know, the people around us won't even be confident enough to advocate to help us grow in where we want to go. Mm-hmm. And yes, congratulations to Gloria. Seriously, you should listen to that episode. It goes full circle to what she was talking about in that conversation. And going back to you, Lorena, you know, you said something that corporate, you know, like prof, um, business that profit are like the devil, you know, like, oh, they're evil. So you decided to get to the non-profit route. What were the lessons learned during that time that ultimately you apply now for Everpoint One and that made you also start 
isolating consulting because I feel like your entrepreneur path is definitely a, like a stepping stone, like a stair that ultimately has given you the opportunity to start every point one and like all the lessons that experiences that you went through is now to grow every point one into what it is now and for the future. Yeah. So with Global Girls Give, it was, I learned so many things were how to the, probably one of the biggest things, which I'm thankful for right now during COVID is at one point we had 20 team members, which were part of, you know, the Mm -hmm. team that was building this across 10 different time zones. So I had to become very good at taking meetings like this, Zoom meetings or Google Meet meetings scheduling, getting everything aligned. And that's probably one of the biggest takeaways because before that, all of my meetings, whenever I would meet with clients, it's face-to-face. I am pitching them, you know, a half a million dollar solution. And it's like, you're used to doing the presentation, all this. Now you're a pro at doing this right here, which let's be real. You could be wearing your pajamas at the bottom and then it's like business (laughs) at the top. So that was one of the biggest lessons, but Because of Global Girls Give, I learned that, hey, you actually don't have to wait until you retire corporate America or retire whatever your job is to become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision that come January 2019, I was going to become an entrepreneur full time. I had already been thinking about it, you know, early 2018 because of the experience I had at Global Girls Give, talked about it with my husband. So that means that we put pretty much everything that I was making at my job into savings. So that way I would be able to have, you know, the ramp up to be able to afford this and everything. So that was the number one thing. Number two is I felt that I didn't have the background to do this like officially, like on my own. So a program that had launched the the university of Washington, it was their first cohort. It was the women in entrepreneurial leadership class. So day one, I go in and they ask us, what are you hoping to gain from this class? I said, I want to learn all of the things that I don't know. So that way I can either learn them in this program or learn them on my own. Because whenever you're like, whoa, I didn't even know that this existed or that that's how this was supposed to be. Once you learn it, you know it. And through that program, before that program started, I knew the business that I wanted to launch. In this class, it was six months. They basically have you launch your idea if that's what you want to do. I chickened out at the end of month one. I was going through the the book that they have us go through, which is 24 Steps to Discipline Entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. The author, um, Bill Outlet, he's on my bucket list to meet one day. He runs the MIT MBA program. It's a great book, great read if you're getting started. But ultimately, I chickened out. I said, nope, this idea is way too crazy. Nobody's going to go for it. And like I said, I chickened out. I had been talking to one of the girls from Global Girls Give. And she's like, well, you know what? Like, I've been thinking about, you know, doing my own business too. She is a woman in STEM. She's a physicist by trade, me biochem by trade. I come with a business background. She was in the business world. We're like, hey, what if we like did a business so that way we can provide our services, the things that we know, to science and tech businesses to help keep them in business longer. And I was like, yeah, like, let's go ahead and do this. And that's what the beginning of Iceline Consulting was. So it's essentially my plan B. It's a plan that I never had, but it was safe because I had been doing this for 10 plus years already. Mm -hmm. And now I was going to have somebody else to do this with me. I wasn't going to be by myself. Long story short, we launched this and we later found out that we were not going to be, let's just say the best fit for us to continue doing the business. It just kind of sucked because it was 
two days before my birthday because my mom was coming into town mm -hmm. and the day that my mom was flying into town, I was just thinking like, holy crap, I can't believe like, this is it. This is the end. Ultimately it was a good decision. Like we're mm -hmm. still friends, but because of that happening, I learned that, Hey, I can run a business by myself. And that was the biggest like lesson that I took. So I kept doing Isoline. I was still doing global girls give. And I said, Lorena, once again, if you've exceeded, you know, all of your goals, all of your metrics, in corporate America, you survived a biochemistry degree, which all of the stats say that you're not going to. You've done this business, you've done a nonprofit, which was not part of your plan, do it. And long story short, all of this ultimately led to every point one. Was I scared? Heck yes, but it's one where I took all of the lessons that I've learned at Global Girls Give, at every point one, corporate America, my my biochem degree and it all resulted in this. And remember earlier I mentioned, I have the super woman confidence when I'm doing this for somebody else, right? Yes. Well, every point one originally started as a platform for women of color in STEM. Mm -hmm. You say every point one, because every point one percent matters when you're changing the stats, women of color are the least represented. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, we're going to go ahead and change the stats. And so when it came time for me to start reaching out to businesses like, Hey, we want you to go ahead and partner with us and all of this, even though we didn't have a product, I was nervous, but I said, no, I need to form these relationships because I need them to become clients because this is what's going to help the women of color in STEM. And so I put them as a priority. And so you better believe I was taking these phone calls with like high level CEOs, selling them on this idea so everything, you know, that's happened down to the confidence, the lessons learned and the wins led to every point one. Yes. And I feel like looking back and, you know, like you shared your journey and like, I think it was like perfect. You know, you, you we, we said it's not the traditional path, but it was a perfect path for you and where mm -hmm. you currently are. And that is amazing. And, you know, let's go deeper into that entrepreneurial journey. You revealed, you know, a great tip. You decided to go to be an entrepreneur. So your husband and you decided, okay, this money, what I'm earning is going to go to my savings for the future. But let's go deeper into more steps because as Latinas, as Latinas who are born and raised in the U S or live in the U S we don't come from a rich family. You know, it's, we may have generational wealth, but that is very low. The percentage is very low. You know, our parents come here and some are homeowners, some are not. So you had this experience, you know, in our earlier chat before this recording that you heard that this young woman said, oh, you know, like, she would have the, her parents' money to help her out. Well, mostly, you know, you and I, like, we, we don't come from that background. And for our listeners who are Latinas who may have that same experiences as us, they don't also have that. So what is necessary to fundraise for your business to start that and also to continue growing it once you have started it? Yeah, I... Thank you so much for asking this question because number one, this is why we need to continue sharing our stories. Mm -hmm. We need to demystify what an entrepreneur is. 
like you said, we talked about this before. And at that point I had just come back from a conference where this woman was wanting to open up a studio and she asked the panelists, Hey, so how did you get started? Like, how are you, how did you fund this? Because a studio takes a lot of money to get going. She's like, Oh, you know, I got a loan from my family, a $30,000 loan to get me going. She's like, and my advice is if you can get the loan from your family versus getting it from the bank, because that way you don't have to pay interest. And that just rubbed me the wrong way, which yes, you know, that's her story and that's her journey, but it's like, we need to acknowledge the privilege that we have with everything. And so you're 100% correct. Some of us may have those. Heck, I'm trying to build that. So that way my kids, my grandkids, it's like, oh yeah, you want to start with a little lemonade stand? Cool. Like, let me like get you going and all of this. Heck yes, we're not knocking that out, but this is our time right now. And we can't wait, you know, for those things to happen. So we have to take that power. So what I would say is, yes, we did the whole savings thing. That meant we had to cut back on a lot of things. I had just moved to Seattle. So it was still year one. And of course, did I want to go exploring? Did I want to go like buy a new kayak, go out and travel? Yeah, I wanted to, but we weren't going to because this is the priority that I put for myself, you know? So that was number one. And we went through all of our finances. We said, what can we scratch out? And I will say, it's so important. Make sure that you still have a little bit of a budget, like for self-care. If date nights are the thing that's important, or you like to go to a movie, you like to read books, give yourself a budget for that. So that was the number one thing. Another thing that I want to mention is it truly depends on the type of business that you're building. Because if you are, for example, like Iceland Consulting was a consulting company, the overhead to get going, it's not that high. You only, you technically can run your company out of your computer. And if you're in consulting, you yourself are the product. You don't have to create something. It's all that's in your brain. You're putting it out on paper. And then essentially people are paying you for what's in your brain. So if you want to go the consulting route, just know that one doesn't have a lot of overhead, which was helpful for when starting Iceline. If you're wanting to do a nonprofit, it's going to be, that one will go ahead and cost you time and money because it's going to cost you money to get everything filed. You have to have your board as well before you file. And then a lot of times if you're wanting to go the nonprofit route, it's because you want a 501c3, which means, you know, for tax exemptions, that will take up to a year. So you have to be okay with, is your business not going to be making money because you can't take donations? So what are the other things you can do for Global Girls Give? Our ultimate thing was we wanted to give back to the community. So we started doing monthly events where sometimes we would clean up the park, clean up the beach, or we would have fundraising events. So we had people actually for a back to school supply drive because of Amazon, we had people from all over the world donating school supplies to children here in Seattle. Right now, every point one, we are a tech startup. So the cost, that's why we hear venture capitalists, oh, raise a million dollars, raise, you know, $140 million. That is the route that we will be going towards. So for me, I was a one woman team for the longest time. I knew that I needed tools. So there's software tools. Those cost money. Number one tip and advice that I will say, everything is negotiable. Especially if you say you're, you're willing to get the product or service for a whole year, negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. 
Then another thing is there are accelerator programs. So right now, Every Point One, we're technically part of two accelerator programs. One is specific for Black, Indigenous, and people of color founders. And through that program, one software that we're getting, we are saving about $1,600 a year in that. So like I said, hacks, hacks, hacks. Ask, hey, how can you help me? How can we get this going? What are the deals that you have? Don't just like straight up email them just asking for that. Build a relationship with them. Say that this is what you're trying to do. Even for us, when we were looking to get incorporated, Mm -hmm. I remember I reached out to a lawyer saying, hey, can you do like looking for pro bono services? We had a meeting. She absolutely loved the idea of what we were looking to do. And she explained like, if you're going to do pro bono, you have to be a nonprofit. So I learned that route too. However, she put me in touch with the team and I had already met them as well here in Seattle where I pitched them the idea and actually what they did, it's a law firm that they took us on where we're not having to pay for any of our legal work up until we do our first round of fundraising from then that's when we pay them. So sell, you know, know what your business is, sell yourself, ask for help as well, because people will come out and they'll help you. Another thing is if you know what your business is, like the service, the product, we start with crowdsourcing or crowdfunding. That's usually what people refer to. It's the friends and family round. Let's be real. Our friends and family don't have the money to help us out with that, but it gives you a chance to prove market validation because if you put, Hey, this is what my service is going to be. And you know, either Kickstarter or I fund women is another one. Then you can show that, Hey, people actually are willing to go ahead and buy from us. If you can build your MVP as quickly as possible, because that you can start selling or you can start getting clients. Even if you're offering the service completely free, you can say, I have a thousand users. And that's so important for when you go the VC route, which is venture capitalist, you go down that route and you can say, we already have a thousand users, or we have a thousand people that have signed up Mm -hmm. that they want this to exist. And then you're going to be open to that. My biggest advice for that is hold off as much as possible, because when you bring the VCs into bed with you, you're really bringing them into bed. It's now a relationship similar to you being married. They're taking a percentage of your equity. They're giving you advice on how to run your business. So you want to make sure that it's a venture capitalist that aligns with what you're looking to do, that they're going to be there to support you. Yes, they bring the money, but they bring expertise as well. But hold off as long as you can. Apply for grants as well. If that's one of the things you can do because of COVID times, there's so many grants that are out there. Apply, apply, apply. But It's always the things like, how can you hack? And it ultimately depends. Side hustle it for as long as you can. Or if you say, you know what? No, this needs to be my number one priority. Then, you know, like AOC, go bartend. Like, what are all of the things that you can do? Because ultimately, like, this has to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. the, um, the founder of Shop Latinx, she said she was Ubering 50 hours, like, a week while building Shop Latinx. And now she's part of an accelerator program. I think it's either Techstars or Y Combinator. And she's like, now I have the business development person at Uber as one of our mentors. So it's one where it's not going to be an easy path for us. The paths are there. Reach out to other people on LinkedIn. If they've been there, they've done that. They'll share these hacks and listen to episodes like this where, hey, this took me a long time to learn what are all the different steps. If I'm pitching a VC, what are all the things that I need on my pitch deck? But once you know it, you know it. Yes. And that goes back to the clarity. And seriously, like you mentioned earlier, like the lessons learned that you have is going to make it much more easier for our listeners to 
oh, not go through that route and just go straight to the plunge of getting financing. And, you know, so you, you started putting your money into your savings. You did that to have that establishment and just to be ready to start every point one. And, but when was that right time? Like for you, because I want to say specifically for you, because for every different person, it's different, you know, like there's, and there's no really like right time, the right moment to start and like leave your job. It can be scary. You know, you're like you mentioned earlier, like AOC did bartending, um, um, founder of a shop Latinx, you know, Ubered. But for you, when was that right time that you said, you know, I'm going all in on this? So I had Global Girls Give already, which at that point I was giving 20 to 30 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I had my nine to five, which that was minimum 40 hours as well. I was still, you know, I had been married for a little over a year. So I was trying to have a relationship with my husband too. I knew that I was starting the Women in Entrepreneurial Leadership Program. So it just got to the point where there are not enough hours in the day. And we talked about it. We made that decision. And I felt at that moment that I couldn't just close up shop on Global Girls Give because we were still giving back to the community and we were helping out. So it was one where I made the decision of, okay, the nine to five is going to go have the money in the savings. Mm -hmm. We knew that off of one paycheck, you know, my husband's, we could live. It was going to be lean. Like, it's not like we're going on vacations. Did I want to? Yes. You know, I had the money in savings. I didn't have to touch it for like a couple of months because I said, I'd rather eat like ramen noodle soup for like a month and know like that money's there for if and when something does happen. And whenever you're launching, before you make the jump, I would say have sales. For me, the thing that allowed me, or I would say kind of held me back was having Global Girls Give in hindsight. Maybe should I pull back on that? Yeah, but it was one where, like I said, it's the part of, being my mother's daughter, I wanted to give back to the community and help connect women. It's different for everyone. It's up to you. I'm willing to make sacrifices. Like for example, I am starting Harvard tomorrow, my online program. And I don't know if you can tell here, but it's like my eyelashes are very sparse. I decided to, I'm canceling that, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to keep like my husband and I, we like to do fine dining. He cooks at home. So we still want to be able to afford like the good quality food for him to cook and for us to enjoy. We recently bought like bikes, we got our camping gear and we said, what can we do like invest in? So that way we know that when we have our hangout time, we're going to be able to basically use the same thing, which is our bikes. It's our camping gear. Like my mom's coming into town on Tuesday. We're taking her to it's La Selva because it's a rainforest. <laughs> I had to like Google Translate, but it's the little things like that. So it's make the list of priorities, what truly matters. If for you, you say, I like to go out and eat, then make that a priority. Like no shame. Or you're like, I like getting massages. Obviously right now because of COVID, mm-hmm. it makes it a little bit easier because think about all the things that we used to do that we don't have. Yes. So that was how I knew like for me, that was the right time, but it's, it's definitely been a lot of sacrifices. I don't regret a single thing because all I know is I'm going to make it. I'm going to become a multimillionaire, but I'm going to know that I know how to run, you know, my household with a lean income. So all that money is going to be so that way I can invest in more diverse entrepreneurs. (laughs) Yes. And I think that's also necessary to remind our listeners, like you have to make sacrifices in life. Um, And 
I think with COVID, like you said earlier, yes, it's, it's much easier. You know, I loved going out to eat and like discovering new restaurants. Now I can you know, save more money, you know, and for my plans for the future. And I think always finding a solution to those sacrifices and reminding yourself of like, okay, this is not going to be forever. You know, you have a plan, you have that clarity of where you're going to go. And I want to say congratulations to you about your new Harvard program. Like that is amazing. You're just being so clear on your goal and just going after the tools, the programs that you need to be prepared to learn what you don't know now and to take that next step. So congratulations. Thank you. And see, this is actually a program that it took me like six months to really like find and know that it was the right one mm-hmm. where I had to let my business get to where it was, where I, it started as a platform for women of color in STEM. Now you can see it's not a platform for women of color mm-hmm. in STEM. I iterated so much on my business that it turned into a full on pivot And yeah, I wanted to start these other different programs, but they didn't fully like line up. So it's one where it doesn't exactly have to be the right one at the moment. Um, There is this great YouTube video by Simon Sinek. He did a Ted talk. They shortened it to five minutes and it's finding your why, you know, whenever we're out at events, it's people always ask you, Oh, what do you do? Rarely will they ask you, well, how do you do it? And never will they ask you, why do you do it? But if we start thinking, our why, finding your why, your why is unwavering. Your why should never change. Like, why are you doing your business? Simple to you. I could ask you, hey, Bren, like, why are you doing a yes? And, you know, you will have that answer of why this needs to exist. The same thing goes like with your business, with whatever program. And it's always, what are the things that are going to help you support that why? Because your why doesn't change. Your how will change. For me, it was about changing the stats, the stats in STEM. It became more clear changing the stats in STEM to ensure we have an inclusive future. The how went from a platform for women of color in STEM now to me holding all of these STEM organizations accountable where your how can change your what will always change. So it's just the knowing what that why is and what are the things that are going to support it. Yes. And it's good that you mentioned that because having the why clear and also being open to the change and that iteration. And you said earlier, like, or I think you might have said earlier, like, you know who your audience is, who the people you're working to help and your clients, you know, these some organizations to hold these changes that ultimately this year they've been saying they'll do to make an, you know, a better future and career for our, you know, people of color community and for Latinas. So, you started Ever Point One as a platform. Were you afraid to make that change, that um, evolution into what it is currently now of changing the stats? I won't say afraid. The thing is, I didn't know the things that I now know. Mm-hmm. I originally went into this where this has to be, you know, it's a platform for women of color and STEM because what women of color and STEM, first of all, we were saying we needed was we need representation. So I said, awesome, let's go ahead and share and highlight the stories of other women of color who are dominating and who are pushing against the stats and are changing the stats just by existing, you're changing the stats. And so met with them and it's like, well, what are the things that you need? Great. You need to get into the STEM workforce because we hear women of color, like we, we study STEM, then we enter the STEM workforce. 
But the thing that I kept learning more and more as I kept meeting with community members, with partners and with clients is that women of color are leaving at exponential rates. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, can you imagine if you go all the way through a PhD, you're in school for 20 plus years, and then you end up leaving the workforce to either go to another industry or just something completely different or open up your own business, something's wrong. So it's like, what is that thing? And it kept coming back to organizations are not built to retain and support this diverse talent. And the crazy part is talk to any recruiter. If an employee leaves and they have to replace them, it costs easily about $30,000 to replace that employee. And employees aren't just rolling or companies aren't rolling around with just five employees. Like, no, they have thousands. Some of them have hundreds of thousands of employees. So why aren't they fixing this? Why are they not trying to figure out what is the thing that's broken? So in the beginning, I still remember when I was pitching every point one, people were like, oh, well, you know, it's a pipeline problem. No, I call BS on that. It is not a pipeline problem. Look at the stats. We are finishing school. We're Mm -hmm. entering the workforce. But the way that it's built, you're not keeping us there. So the thing is, I first thought, okay, I'm going to go to organizations and be like, pipeline problem, no more. Here they are. But now I said, no, what if I, let's just say, Bren, you're looking for a new job. You're a mechanical engineer and I help you get a job at ABC company. What if you come back two months later and you're like, Lorena, ABC company, they are, there are so many microaggressions. My manager doesn't support me. Like there's no respect. You're going to be like, Lorena, what happened? Why did you help put me in this company? So then I started thinking, no, no, no. The companies have to fix what's going on. They have to change the way. So ultimately every point one, like I said, we iterated so much into a pivot where now what we are, we're not the community, but we go into organizations and we demand change. We go in and we audit them to see how are they recruiting and retaining the talent. But on top of that, we look at everything from the products that they're creating. Are they accessible to everyone? We talked about Alexa. I feel okay saying her name because I don't have an Alexa (laughs) in this room, but earlier today I was showering and I always, I'm a Maluma fan. And so I always say, hey, Aluma, or hey, Alexa, play Maluma. And however, there was a song that I wanted to hear. And it's the Kechimba song by Maluma. So I'm telling her, hey, Alexa, play Kechimba by Maluma. She had no idea what I was saying. So I had to be like, hey, Alexa, play Kachimba by Maluma and <laughs> the way she says it. And that's just one thing where it's just language. Imagine people you know, with certain disabilities, Mm -hmm. like if certain things are built and they're like, wait, this is not built for me. So it's everything tied to the way that the products are built. We need more diversity. You know, the U S census says that by 2045, the U S will actually be minority white. So we have what a 25 year clock that's ticking. We need to make these changes now. And if a product is built, Imagine us growing up when we saw the news or when we saw commercials, we never saw people that look like us. And if they did, they were only like on Univision and what is it like Telemundo. But now like I'm challenging these organizations, like it's the way your product is built, the way the people, the people who are building it, but also the way that you're promoting your product and out there. So because of auditing, we are the ones that are setting the standards where it's hey, you pass or you fail, these are the things that you need to fix. Mm-hmm. And definitely company culture because they're not retaining, if they're not advocating for the employees that are already there, then there's no change. And I feel like it's also reminding them that diversity brings in money. If you have a product that can be marketed 
to not only the U.S. and all of its citizens, you know, who, you know, we have so many people from all over the world and, you know, other countries, like, you'd think they would be open into making these, these changes. So, you know, it's been, correct me if I'm wrong, a year now. No, less than a year with this new format. Yes, November, yeah, November of last year. Mm-hmm. That, or Sorry, the, the new format. The new format actually changed in March of this March. year. Yeah. So can you, not, not going into details, but can you share with us how has that experience been like with, with this, um, STEM companies, of you auditing them and just making these strategies to this improvement and make sure it's established in their culture and the way they produce these products and, and also to advocate and grow the, their employees to ultimately stay and improve our lives as users. So here's the crazy thing. When I made this switch, I had actually forecasted six months worth of research because girl, if it was hard selling them on just, Hey, list your jobs on our platform. Can you imagine just like selling them on, Hey, we need you to go ahead and think about the way that you're doing your entire organization. So I had six months forecasted for this because of everything that happened, you know, with Black Lives Matter, that really sped it up mm-hmm. COVID times as well, because either employees were leaving or companies, they saw that they were having to downsize and fire a lot of employees. So that really like put us into a time crunch because it's like, holy crap, like we had six months, like, what are we doing? So rather than just rushing into it, which is probably what Lorena version of Global Girls Give would have done where it's like, no worries, you need this? Cool. I will meet you tomorrow and just like stay up all night and getting this point. Now it's like, no, you know what? I know that this is something you need because Mm -hmm. everybody's knocking on our door that this is what they want and that they need, but it's okay. You're going to have to wait until we have this ready for you. But the, all of the meetings that I'm taking, all of the people that we're working with, they're so open that they want this change. And right now I will say, if somebody is not open to it, awesome. I don't have the bandwidth to work with you. Mm-hmm. I want to work with people that they want to actually make change, not where it's okay. We're putting in a new training, you know, from four to 5 PM on Friday, just so that way we can say, yep, we checked the box and we're done. No, these are organizations that they understand. We're going to have to basically come on in and on some of them, it's maybe just make a couple of fixes. And for others, it's, we need to build this from the ground up. Perfect. Yes. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, it's unfortunate that the events of the, you know, the murder of George Floyd and ultimately, which gave much more strength and respect to the Black Lives Matter movement and COVID happened. So it's definitely all of these things is ultimately helping you and never point one actually make a great change, a positive change. It's unfortunate the events that lead it to this, but I'm happy that you are so it like just focused in being a positive impact in the STEM industry. So at least we can look on the bright side of that and that you are, like you said, if it's not benefiting others, you know, it will, is it really benefited me? So, mm-hmm. so thank you. And I want to go back into our conversation and you mentioned the board of directors, um, for our listeners who have their 
maybe they're starting their business or maybe they're just ready to go full-time on it. And they're like, wait, I've saved up all this money. I'm now, you know, full-time on this. Now I need a board of directors. Like what? Like, so can you tell us when is it necessary for an entrepreneur to have a board of directors who needs to be in this board? Where do we reach people? And I guess that answer would be networking, but like, tell us the secrets that no one really shares. And how did you, in your case, were able to do it? Definitely. And you said something where I saved up all this money. I'm ready to do this. I would say even from day one, when you speak, maybe you're like, I have $0 in the savings account, but I know I'm going to need either 5,000 or 10,000 or some businesses maybe only require 200, right? We hear the stories of, I started my business with $80. Whatever amount you have, you can start your business today. So as soon as you finish this podcast, you can start your business today because a lot of things like Google docs, we all have a Gmail account. You can start that whether it's pen and paper and you're starting that market validation. I suggest you do that from day one as well or start interviewing people. And it's like, Hey, I have this idea for this type of product or service. Is it something that you would pay money for? And now it cool. Yes. You get a checkbox. And then now you have another contact that can go ahead and help you out with that too. Do not wait. And I repeat, do not wait because as Latinas, we do not have the time to wait. We don't have the time to wait. Start today and start doing that market research. That way it's going to give you the confidence and say, yes, this product needs to exist. When I started pitching every point one, people were like, oh my God, I can't believe that something like this doesn't exist already. Which for me, it was like, yes, pat on the back because it's an idea that needs to exist. But yes, there are five positions that need to be on your personal board of directors. The I suggest you have to have all of them You don't necessarily need to have all of them like today or tomorrow. And these are positions that you can hire, fire, and promote accordingly. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes certain positions, they will outgrow and it's time to bring in a new one. And it all depends on the stage of life that you're in. The first one is your cheerleader. Or since it's a Latina audience, I call it your hashtag, your she se puede. Because that's your cheerleaders that are supporting you. So these are the ones where these are the friends that oh my God, I just got yelled at or I just had a crappy day. They are going to cheer you on and support you. Lorena, you got this. You can do this. They may not know what it is you're working on, but they have your back. They believe in you like no other and they support you. So it's your she step with it. Next is your let me keep it real friend. This is the amiga that says amiga, mira. Because they don't, they're not going to sugarcoat it. They're ones that they're going to keep it real. They're like, Hey, you just did this presentation or I heard this podcast and I know you're trying to work on this, but you stumbled on this or, Hey, you said this and it doesn't sound right. They're not usually your cheerleader. They love you as much as a cheerleader does, but they're like, amiga, mira, tu dijiste esto and this is what happened. So they keep it real and you need those as well, because that's, what's going to ground you. You can't just have people building you up because we're going to stumble. We're going to have lessons learned and you want this amiga on your side. Your next is your connector. So this is your tienes que conocer a. This is the person that is facilitating the connections. This is why I always say, do not keep the business idea that you want super close to your chest because you're like, somebody's going to steal it from me. Heck no, shout it from the rooftop. Because if you already have this idea, maybe somebody else has, has it as well, but you've done all of this research. You're here. You're the differentiator. This connector is the person where once you start telling them, hey, this is what my business is looking to do, they're going to be like, oh, you need to meet with this person. Oh, you need to do this. 
for example, in January, we had only had the business for what, two months. And I entered a pitch competition because my friend Aileen, who now lives in DC, she recommended me. And I thought like we were way too early. We won the pitch competition and it just opened up so many more doors. It's people where they're like, oh, because of what you're doing, I need to put you in touch with this. The Forbes feature that came out in June, my friend Sage, the founder of Future for Us, she's the one that nominated me for that. So these are your connectors, the people that are making those connections. You need to meet this person. The fourth one is your mentor or your madrina because they've been there. They've done that. They are ones where like, for example, but if you're like, I want to open up a consulting business or I want to open up a tech startup, you come to me. I've been there. I've done that. So I'm going to mentor you where this, like I said, took me three months. Let's make it happen so that we can master in one month. And finally, it's this one is the most important one. I personally feel it's your sponsor slash advocate slash fellowship. This is the person that says, Has escuchado de Lorena. Lorena está haciendo esto. This is the person that makes sure that your name is said in rooms where you're not even thought of or welcome at the moment. This person chooses you. You don't choose them. So they are the ones that ultimately advocate for you. And maybe they start off as a mentor and then they become as a sponsor. A lot of times your sponsor is not going to have time to one-on-one coach you. Mm-hmm. Earlier, I mentioned my friend who... She was the super little powerhouse and all this. She became a sponsor for me. Whenever there was a promotion that was up, she's like, oh, have you considered Lorena? And I say Lorena because that's how she calls me. But she's like, have you considered Lorena for this? So she would advocate for me. She became a sponsor. And it's so important that if you have sponsors in your life, you also sponsor other people because we need to keep the door open and we need to keep bringing more of us into the room. So those are the five positions. It's your cheerleader, your hashtag, she se puede. Let me keep it real. Let me guess. She's not always going to be super cool. You're not going to be a fan of her all the time, but it's going to help you. Your connector, the one who's like, tienes que conocer a esta persona, your mentor, your madrina, been there, done that. And your, your, um, your sponsor and your fellowship person who advocates for you. So those are the five people. And the biggest lesson that I would say is once you have them, even if you have one or three or all five, mm-hmm. keep them posted, especially your sponsor your mentor, they're giving you advice and tips, let them know how it worked out. Because the last thing you want is like, oh, I made this connection for Bren, what's going on? Rather than like, hey, Lorena, thanks for the introduction. Like, this is what happened. And I mean, I think I even like referred you a couple of people over. Like, I love being the connector where it's, oh, these people are awesome. Like they need to meet. So those are the five people. What was that? They're going to be on Aya soon. Uh, Yay. (laughs) It's going to be a surprise, but you'll be very happy with our future guests. Yes. But yes, you're totally right. You know, and it all goes back to networking, creating these connections and really not only thinking about yourself, but really giving back, giving forward because paying it forward because, you know, you learned all these lessons. They learned all these lessons. And the only thing that is important is like, okay, let me help you succeed. You know, if we continue to do that, I think us Latinas will be able to really succeed and not be able, not face all the obstacles that our previous Latinas, our previous generation, you know, face. You know, let's make our path much easier because, you know, our the majority of like white people, you know, they, they grew up with these benefits, um, these privileges 
let's let's create this really strong community where we can just also have that same place, that same privilege. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you have these amazing mujeres and surrounding you and like they're advocating for you, they're reminding you like, hey, you 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 messed up here, but it helps you even grow. And yeah, absolutely. And they're coming from a place where they don't mean harm. They know that this is something you're trying to improve or you're trying to get better and they will hold you accountable because we need that. And it can't be all like sugar, rainbows and butterflies. It's no, we need to keep it real, but it comes from a place where they love you and they want what's best for you. Yes. And not anything is color de rosa. And I feel like I actually love when that, you know, truth comes to my way. Like, okay, oh, I messed up here. Let me do it better. So it's also being you as a person being open to critique and mm-hmm. growing because you can't stay static. You can't stay there forever. And which also brings me to my second question. Like, you know, you can't stay static. You can't stay in the same path. You know, you're very open to change and developing an evolution of every point one. When, you know, you started as the sole founder, the sole CEO. When is that moment in time for you in your business life to bring other people on your team to help this company grow? Because yes, you have your board. Yes, you have yourself. You have these clients that are ready. You know, they're just waiting for you to get everything in place. But when is that right time? You're going to say like, okay, I need to give this responsibilities to other people who are also passionate in growing this business. When is that right time for you in your case? Yeah. So with Iceline, like I said, I started, I had this idea, pitched it to the woman and she's like, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. So at that moment, I felt like I needed a founder, another co-founder to be Mm -hmm. able to do this. Like I mentioned earlier, I learned later that I didn't need one. So I'm so grateful that that happened because when every point one came, I was still scared when it was just alone, a woman of color in STEM platform. Mm -hmm. I was like, how am I going to do this by myself? I started. And a lot of things is I come from a B2B background, which is, which is business to business. So I'm used to, like I said, selling like those half a million dollar deals to clients, not building community, how you have community, right? That's a B2C side. And so I had to really learn the B2C side where this was not in my wheelhouse. I said, eventually we're going to get to the B2B side and boom, that is where I will shine. Yes. Did I think, oh my God, it would be awesome to bring on a co-founder who has B2C experience? Absolutely. But instead I took the time to learn all of the things because I said, when you bring on either a co-founder or you bring on an employee and they're going to take over this, you want to know what are the things that they're doing? How can you best support them? Because otherwise you won't have that type of communication. So it's better to know like what the business needs and that. So I took my time. Eventually we moved over to the B2B side. I kept refining and refining and iterating what every point one is where 100% I knew that this is what it was. And I still had, I I had a couple moments where it's like, oh, okay, do I bring on a co-founder? I was like, no, just keep building this. Like you don't need a co-founder right now. Like you got this, you know what it needs to be. I had been sharing um, actually with my own board of advisors. These are the ideas that I'm doing. And I had one Saturday morning, I'm usually pretty good at not checking my work emails, but on the weekends, but I woke up and I saw an email from a friend. So I was like, oh yeah, let me go ahead and open this. 
And she essentially reached out and she pitched herself. So she advocated for herself to be my CTO for the company because she's like, we've been pretty much catching up on a weekly basis and you've been giving me all the updates on the business. She's like, I want to build this with you. And so I was like, whoa, like this is so cool where it's like a vision and a mission, like sold somebody else on coming on board to do this as a startup. Number one, I've already worked with her before. Mm -hmm. She's actually um, one of the members from Global Girls Give. And so we've worked together where I knew that, okay, she's awesome at what she does. We spent weeks, weeks like, okay, this is what the business does. How do you see yourself joining? And the crazy part is she pitched herself as a CTO. Then she's like, hold on. I actually have a background in design. So maybe I should be the chief design officer. And so I wanted her on the team, but I I had already kind of like been sold on the idea of her coming on board as a CTO Mm -hmm. because the CTO is something that we were going to need in the short term future. And I was like, okay, well, let's see how this would work. We kept meeting more. And then one day she's like, I found the perfect title for me. And she's like, chief product officer. So this woman, she's a Latina as well. And what I love about her is she's a hybrid. So she's from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. She wanted to go into technology, but it's like, that's not a course that was offered there. She went into design because growing up when she was little, she wanted to be an artist, but it's one where, and I hope that maybe one day she'll be on uh, your podcast because she her story is absolutely beautiful, but she didn't have like that representation. And at that time, you know, we grew up where it's, oh, if you want to be a writer, you want to be an artist, you're not going to make money. And so instead she went the traditional business route, similar to me. Then she ended up moving to the States um, and she she was in design for a couple of years. And then she's like, I want to do technology. So she got into a boot camp. She became a coder and she now is this perfect hybrid of design and technology. So she not only understands like how the world works, like coding and everything, but she also understands like the visually like aesthetic side of it too. And so this is the perfect role for her because she actually gets to combine both pieces of what she absolutely loves, which is design and technology and becoming a chief product officer. And spoiler alert, you're actually the very first like outside person and the first organization that I'm sharing these, this news with, but her name is Stephanie Blondette. So I don't know if you um, follow her on social media. She, I don't, but I will follow her now. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we've kept it like on the download and she's been like slowly like sharing some behind the she uh, behind the scenes. She's like, I'm working on my secret project. We're officially announcing it tomorrow that she's coming on board. And the crazy part is like, I live in Seattle. She lives in Florida. So we're on complete opposite ends like of the US. But here we are, thanks to technology, building a company. So long story short is no set rules and say, this is how far I can take the company. Mm -hmm. She reached out to me. It was still a little bit sooner than what I thought when we would need a CTO and then eventually a chief product officer. Also during that time, everything kind of kept moving fast. We brought on a chief um, operating officer. So I have a COO as well. And I say, know how far you can get it, know what skills and tools you're going to need. And that's when you can actually start considering it. For people, whenever you're debating, you know, do I bring on a co-founder? How's that going to work the percentage? Because that's something that can take like months to figure out. There's this website that it's founders.com. It's missing the E. So F-O- F-O-U-N-D-R-S.com. 
It's not the most aesthetically pleasing site, but it gets it done where you basically answer questions and it'll spit out this person deserves this percentage, this percentage, that percentage. And at least it gives you ground to be able to start talking about it. And this is important when you're building a tech startup company, because you need to have all of this like figured out. And actually we are not just a tech startup company. We're not filed. Usually when you do tech startups, you're a C corporation. We are a PBC, which means we are a public benefit corporation. So we have been approved to be a public benefit corporation, which um, Ben and Jerry's is a public benefit corporation. There's the company that does insurance, which is Lemonade, which is like making um, insurance accessible for all. They are a public benefit corporation. So we are joining a list of amazing companies that they are for the public. So essentially we're saying that us existing, it's a benefit for the public. Oh my God. Congratulations. This is really brings me so much joy and like you putting in the hard work and it's paying off your passion that you have for this change is um, like it's showing and like it's so contagious that you inspired, you know, Stephanie to join Everpoint One. And it's just, I'm excited for the future, what it holds for you and for Everpoint One and the change, you know, and yes, I would like love to have you back and like keep us updated what has been the changes and everything. So yes, congratulations. And thank you for sharing this news with us first. So Absolutely. I know we were originally scheduled to interview last week, but I was, we still needed to get some stuff approved from the lawyers. We got it like Friday, super late in the day. And I messaged you like, we can keep it, but I want it. Cause I wanted to share like this announcement with yeah. you. The fact how she's a Latina as well. You're, I want to thank you for creating space like this, where you're amplifying our voices and our stories. You bring us together where I, when I listen to podcasts, it's usually in the morning, whenever I'm checking my emails or if I'm out, like, you know, riding my bike and stuff, but it's one where we, because of technology are able to access and connect so many to so many other people as well. And I love that. It's also Latina, you know, it's like, it's still a Latina business and that just makes me so happy and just like, oh my gosh, my community is making a positive change. It's just like, I hope that, you know, earlier I said the high school listeners and up and you know, ASMS must listen podcast. I would have loved to have, you know, known women like you when I was like growing up, like you said, we see it in Univision or Telemundo or now with technology, we have that, you know, these stories, these, these changes, these businesses just in the tip of our hands. And it would have been amazing. It was amazing to like know new women like you when I was like younger, you know, 10 growing up, but. And we, yeah. we need that. No. Do I feel that exact same way? Yes. Like meeting people like you, meeting all these amazing women, number one, social media slide into those DMS, like slide into the yes. DMS. I know for me, it takes me a little, a little while to get back to people because, you know, you get so many of them, but it's like slide into them, connect with them on LinkedIn, follow them. And you as well, even if you're 10 years old, you've learned things that a five-year-old doesn't know. So share the things and share the hacks where it's like, oh, I did this. Do not hog information because we need that representation. You know, we're no longer in the stage of we are the only one. No, I could be maybe the first one, but know that I'm keeping the door open because we're all coming together. And podcasts like this allow us to share that, you know, we share, yeah, our journey, 
Heck yeah. Did I share some embarrassing moments? Yes. But it's where to let you know, you're probably going to have them too. And it's okay. Ultimately, like this is where you get to. And something that I started doing, I said, what would, where do I see Lorena, you know, 20 years from now? And what are the advice, what's the advice that she's going to be teaching me now that, you know, I'll be 20 years older that I'm like, man, I wish I would have known, you know, right now. And so I start kind of thinking that way. I do that for fun. And, you know, I learned certain things where it's like, hmm, maybe she'll teach me this and, you know, <laughs> make that for fun. But yeah, so something I would recommend, you know, everyone try. Yeah, that, that's, that's a, an amazing exercise. And I think I should also do it. And because we, we do learn from our past, but it's also important to be aware of what we can teach or the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it's a good thing you mentioned going back to, um, adding Stephanie to your team, the legal side of it all, you know, it's so good that you have lawyers who, you know, are, you know, I don't even know that side. You might also have some, you know, awareness, some knowledge of that, but it's good that you have a legal team that can help you and guide you to make everything clear, you know, the responsibilities, if the moment of like, someone decides not to be no longer be part of this okay it's still owned by Lorena you know the work is here like it's so great like that's something that every entrepreneur should have and I think it's not it's not always like reminded I feel like every time I listen to an entrepreneur they forget to mention the legal side of a business and it's scary it's so scary because I've met I have friends who they started off as co-founders and then they separated because maybe one of you has a vision, you know, to go direction A, the other one has a vision to go direction B, but it's like, ultimately, how does that work? And so with us, it's funny that you say like, you know, if one of them leaves, um, ultimately it's Lorena's. But another thing is when you are a tech startup, the business is its own entity. Mm -hmm. We technically buy in either through your IP, you know, your intellectual property of you building the business. And then you also pay to own part of the business too. But it's stuff where I, when my co-founders came on, I gave them, and I'm totally okay with saying like, I gave them like more than enough equity for them to feel comfortable that it's like, I am building something that I own a piece of this. A lot of times we, we get so territorial where we're like, oh, it was my idea. I'm the one that's working and building this. You know, I want to give them 5% and so on. But it's no, give them something where it's, it's their time. It's their knowledge. You want, think about it. If you were the one that was joining a company, wouldn't you want to be compensated for that as well? Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the whole thing. We know as Latinas, we're what, 54 cents for every dollar. So we should be paying everybody that comes as part of our team, not to like go on off a rant, on a rant, but one of the things that upsets me the most is interns, internships that are not paid. Yes. Because you're limiting the pool, you know, of amazing people that you can attract because a lot of us, we can't afford to have an unpaid internship because we're still going to school. We probably have a full-time job as well. You can't add something else to the plant. And it's not that you just don't want it enough. It's just like literally there are not enough hours in the day. So pay your interns. And the same thing with your, when your team members come on board, like we put off a good percentage. So that way when we do start hiring, they get to own part of the company as well. So think about it from the perspective of how would you feel if you were joining a company Mm -hmm. and you know, it's different and a nonprofit, none of us like have a piece of it because it's its own thing. 
But yeah, there's so many things like I've learned. There's sole, you know, sole proprietorship. There's LLCs, which LLCs are actually not recognized in Canada. Then you can do like S Corp, C Corps, PBCs. Like there are so many things. So talk to a lawyer. There are like the zoom.com and rocket lawyer. If that's, if you're starting like an LLC, go down that route. If you're looking to do a tech startup, I just say, this is one of the things that you want to have saved your money for because it's better to get it done like early on Mm -hmm. and have it right. Especially if you're wanting to go the venture capital route, because they will look at all of this information. Like, do you have all of your ducks in a row? And I'd rather outsource that because I'm not an expert at that. So Mm -hmm. I'd rather have a team of experts help me on that end. And thank you for being so honest. I think that's when I love like all my conversations here on AS is just this honesty of like, this is how things are done. And like to help us, you know, be very aware of how to do things. And again, like we've been mentioning in this conversation, avoid those little obstacles that we might face, like lessons learned. Okay. It's going to a path much more clear. And I think with you having Stephanie join, because I saw recently that you achieved an eight hour day, you know, you worked more than eight hours to build every point one. So how was that experience of going to the eight hours? You know, you even shared on your Insta stories, um, the Google Excel sheet of like the calendar of how you like put things in, which I have to sh- uh, share. I started doing that. I was like, okay, I'll start applying that. And it's been helping me. So thank you, Lorena. Um, but how has you, how did you achieve that eight hour shift as a, an entrepreneur? And how do you respect those boundaries that you place for yourself? And I think it's going to be much more easier with Stephanie on board. But again, you're building, you're growing. I imagine there's going to be some overstep of you overstepping those boundaries to make things happen. But like you said earlier, Lorelina, before um, Global Girls um, Give, yeah. you were like, yes, I'll do that now. And like you waste the whole night and like making it happen. But now you know, like, no, I need the time to really build this so you so I can give you a quality product and service so share with us how was how was how were you able to make that happen yeah so this actually started back in my ADP days because I would have to meet seven clients face to face on a weekly basis like that was our goal and so there's you know the scheduling time to actually make the appointment to prepare for the appointment to drive to the appointment to get to the appointment then to do all the work after so i got used to block scheduling i pen and paper because i was a pen and paper gal and i would highlight i would color code my entire calendar i would see a color i knew the type of activity my brain would start to switch to that type of activity with global girls give i didn't have the bandwidth to do pen and paper anymore everything became digital so I still started doing the block, the time blocking thing. And I would, I would say, start with prioritizing what's most important to you. For me, family was always there. Mm-hmm. So even if, you know, recently married, I wanted to make time like to spend with my husband, maybe it was, okay, we're watching Netflix or we're going on a walk. So you make that priority. Then for me, I put Global Girls Give next. And so I made sure that I would have that where if my team members were available on a certain time, because we would do this after work, then it's okay, let's do this. There were days where I would finish like at 11 p.m. at night. And it, the advice that I would give right now, it's set those priorities and set the priorities and follow them because you have to do that. So the way that I do the block scheduling is I first think, 
What time am I willing to get up at? And how late am I work? Am I willing to work? I am an early bird. As soon as I wake up, within 10 minutes, my brain is on and ready to go. My husband is a night owl. He'd rather sleep in, but at 11 p.m., his brain is like on fire and he's going. So know which one you are, and it's okay if you're a night owl. Like that means you might sleep until 11 a.m., but that means at 11 p.m. your brain is on fire. So embrace it and don't let society tell you, oh, you have to be an early bird. You know, so. Decide that first. And that's what I would do. I would say, okay, I'm willing to get up at 5 a.m., but that means I need to be asleep at 10 because I function off of six hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. If I actually sleep like seven or eight, I'll be tired throughout the day. So know which one. Other people, they take naps during the day. Schedule the naps. So I kept working way more than just the eight hours a day for a very long time. Because of COVID, we actually ended up closing Global Girls Give. We made that decision because we were so out and involved in the community, Mm -hmm. we no longer could do that. We all took time off and we learned that we started spending more time in our ventures. And I saw, wow, every point one is thriving because once again, I'm spending, you know, the TLC that it needs. And I made the decision, you know, along with the other women where it's like, you know what, we want to keep giving back, but now we're going to give back on the thing that truly where we get to shine. And for me, I'm giving back, you know, for diversity in STEM. Others, they were giving back, you know, sharing their knowledge or helping out. And that's what I would do. I would figure out, okay, well, what percentage of my time, if I know that I'm going to work just eight hours a day, then you subtract, you know, from the big hours that you have a week. Well, I also want to make sure I have time for hiking and exploring. Now, what threw me, you know, a bit for a loop was Harvard. I don't know how long it's going to take me to study for the classes. Do I want to get A's? Absolutely. Not just because like, that's what it's going to show. That means that I'm fully understanding all of the material. So starting next month, which is actually this week, this girl is back on the waking up at 4 a.m. time. But I share this with pride because I want to share with you I am still only working an eight hour day on average. I'm working 40 hours. This means I have class. It's on the Eastern standard time. Mm -hmm. So that means my class starts at 12. So noon Mm -hmm. on Mondays. So what I'm going to do is I start at 5 a.m. But guess what? I'm done for my Monday workday at 10 a.m. ¿Y sabes qué voy a hacer después? For an hour and a half, I have it allocated. I'm going to go on a bike ride. I'm going to take my lunch and I'm going to shower. And then I have a half an hour break before my class even starts. So Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, it's different. I go, yeah, from 5 a.m. I still have a lunch, but then I end it at 4 p.m. every single day. So it's either I'm going to work out that day and I'm going to shower or I'm going to prep dinner. And then on Fridays, because of being an entrepreneur, I see that my brain is burnt the F out come Friday. And so I am pushing to get, you know, to that 5 PM time, like come lunchtime. Sometimes I'm like, man, I don't want to go back to work, but there's things that I need to do. So on Fridays I start, and I have my schedule pulled up right now. <laughs> That's how I'm able I to love tell that. You. I start my day at 6 30, mm-hmm. but I end it at noon. And then I go on lunch and I take a two hour lunch, actually an hour and a half. And then I spend the rest of my day studying. And so it's stuff where I don't work on weekends anymore. I am, yes, waking up early, but I'd rather wake up early than stay up late. And at night I have it that, okay, I have what, two hours to have dinner and relax. And then I'm going to get ready. And then I have, I'm going to have time for reading my books. So it's 
block it out, prioritize. It's taken me a while to get here. Yes, there are going to be some days where, holy crap, I have something that's going to take me a little bit longer. Mm. Stay longer. The next day, sleep in a bit more. It's okay. Like the work is going to get done. And especially as entrepreneurs, the work will get done because we are the ones that are ultimately responsible for the business. But make time for yourself. For me, it's spending time with my husband. It's working out. It's reading. These are the things how I get grounded and centered again. So know what those are and don't let society tell you, oh no, you're spending too much time on mental health. If I'm not spending time on mental health, that means I can't be there for the business. The business is what's going to help all these people. So it's all a chain reaction. (laughs) Yes. And I love that, you know, you're very respectful of your time of other people's times and on your mental health, like we need to take care of ourselves. Like we're living in the middle of a pandemic. Like it's not going to be easy, but if you yourself have a routine that is established and that helps you, you know, have control over your life, your business and your mental health, like that is important. And I love that, you know, also your husband is like, like another cheerleader, like he knows what your dream is He's like advocating for you and like having that respect of also helping you grow is important. So definitely that's something that I'm also happy that you have. And, you know, we've talked about the past, the present, what you're doing here right now. And here on AS, I always love um, inviting my guests to share where do they see themselves in five to 10 years? Like I want to, I want you to share, like I'm a big believer, like, you speak things into existence, but also the actions. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? Let's go five years. Where do you see yourself five years? Where do you see every point one in five years? And what are the steps that you have currently in place and in mind that will take you to that future? So... I love that you're asking this question because that's how I know that we're going to be great friends. I am the person where it's, where do you see yourself five years from now? Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? My five to 10 years right now can probably be the same answer because I still don't know. And so I'll, I'll give you a middle of seven years from now, <laughs> seven years from now, I see myself either every point one has grown so much where I am the CEO of a fortune 100 company because we're making so much change or every point one has either gotten acquired from another large company. I'm open to it. And see, that's the thing. It could go this way or it could go that way. I don't know exactly, but I'm open to those types of things, regardless of what happens, you know, whether someone buys us, whether I'm, you know, at the forefront running it, all I know is I'm going to have made money and this money is going to go back to people like us. I am going to be, and I can't tell you whether if it's going to be a venture capitalist, an angel investor, an advisor, but I'm going to be the one that is funding ideas like every point one, ideas like Ayaz, because we need this. We need more diversity in the businesses that are out there. So I will be there not only giving money, but the advice. The cool, you want to run this business? Awesome. How are we going to do that? I'm going to be your, let's keep it real friend. I'll be your cheerleader. I'll be your connector. I'll be your mentor, you know, and your sponsor for all of the things. So without a doubt, I can say that that's where I'm going to be. Pre-COVID, my plan was that, you know, five, seven, 10 years from now, I would be building my company, running my company, probably out of Costa Rica, 
And every three months or six months, I would be moving to another country. At that point, I hope, you know, to have started a little family where I can show them STEM, how cool it is that if they want to run their own business, like I said, their little lemonade stand or maybe coconut stand, depending on where we're living, then they can do that. And helping out my family, whatever it is that they want to be doing, knowing that like money is not going to be an issue, that that support will be there. And the steps that I would say that I'm taking is right now, I am already sharing the advice for, hey, this is how you build a company. The more that I learn, the more that I share. In a couple of weeks, even though, you know, the bandwidth, I have, I think, a window on Sundays from 11 to 1 p.m. before my exploring time is I'm going to probably start recording videos and just, they're not going to be high quality videos, but it's, I'll probably jump on Zoom and just, hey, five to 10 minutes or maybe 30 minutes, these are the lessons learned. And so I'll start becoming an advisor to businesses. The steps is I want to be on their board of advisors officially, help them run their business, and then eventually, you know, get to the point that they're successful as well. So those are the steps that I'm currently taking right now. And I'm sharing all of this because maybe you have a business idea where you're like, okay, I'm going to wait three years from now. And then two years after you're doing it, I already have that capital to help you. Your idea is already a true business. Cool. Cool let's get into, you know, bed and make this be a business and we'll work together. So those are the steps that I'm taking. And it's so important that you ask that because everyone says, where do you see yourself five, 10, 15 years from now? But we need to start asking our question, the question, what steps are you doing to help you get there? Cause otherwise it's just a dream mm-hmm. rather than a goal. Goals are attainable dreams. They're nice to have. So we need to turn dreams into goals. And it's like, what are the steps to get there? and share them with everybody because Mm -hmm. everybody's going to, it's amazing. People want people to succeed. So if you start saying like, this is my dream, this is what I want to do. Yeah. They might like start picking it apart. Well, how are you going to do this? How's this going to work? That helps you like really know what it's going to be, but then they're going to start saying, Oh yeah, you know, Lorena's trying to do this. You need to connect with Lorena or have you thought about Lorena for this? The more that people know how they can, what they can do to support you, the more that they're going to do that. And whenever you meet with people, ask them, how can I help and support you? And little by little, you'll start to see that those people start asking other people, how can I help and support you? And eventually we all become helpers and supporters of people. Yes. I love this. This is definitely such a great conversation that we've had. And like everything that you say, I'm taking into my mind. And you know, after this, I re- I'm going to re-listen and take notes because you're helping me have a much more clear path on growing AES. You know, I've shared with my listeners, like, I want this to become a media company and having these conversations with all these empowering things, and especially you, it's just like, helps me be more clear, question what I need to do in order to have those steps ready and just take it to the next step. So thank you for being so generous because not many people are, are that, you know, they want to hold information and it's time for Latinas to just share this information to help each other grow. So thank you. And, you know, we've had this wonderful conversation and you've had this journey that, that I love. I love because you have the business background, you have the science background, you've had the networking background, like all of that you've experienced and lived is such a great combination ingredient to grow every point one. So I'm just excited and I want to ask you if you had the opportunity to time travel back in time at whatever age, you know, you decide and you approach little Lorena, 
what would you say to her knowing what you know now at that age? You know, I, I haven't thought about this question, but I guess, you know, the thought comes, Ooh, would I tell her like pursue science, pursue this, because who knows, maybe, you know, I would cure something if I convinced her like pursue science, but no, I don't think I would change anything. I think what I would tell her would be advice where things sometimes may seem like they're unfair and they might be follow whatever your gut tells you that it's the right thing, but always make sure that you keep helping people along the way. And if you learn something, share it. And yeah, that's what I would tell her because you know what? I still remember my first day of kindergarten. Like I went into kindergarten knowing like my multiplication tables because my mom was a stay at home mom and she like, she wanted us to like know our stuff. Mm -hmm. So I went into kindergarten knowing that I knew how to tie my shoes. And I still remember day one, like I'm teaching this kid, like, this is how you tie your shoes, you know, where it's always like giving back. And I think, yeah, that's what I would tell her. Just like, don't give up. The situation's going to be unfair. Cause there are a lot of times I felt where, holy crap, this really sucks. And we think this life just isn't meant for me. You know, maybe my kids will be able to have this because I'll create this for them. No, we deserve this for ourselves too. And the situation life is always going to be unfair, but know what privileges you have because the things that maybe I'm taking for granted, other people are like, man, I wish I had that too. Mm. So that, but always, 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 always pay it forward because you never know how that can change somebody's life. And for you, it's just a piece of information that you just have now. You can change someone's life. So yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. And, you know, thank you for giving me your time and sharing your journey, sharing your story with us today here on AS and sharing the great news. I think you know, this episode is has a lot of great nuggets of information to take the next step in their entrepreneurial journey and not just be afraid and like advocate for themselves and really be clear on their why, be open to changing and evolving in their business. And I'm just so happy. I'm excited for our listeners to listen to this. And where can they follow you? Where can they follow Lorena? Where can they follow Everpoint One? You know, if they have any questions. Yeah, thank you so much for creating space for us to share that. If you you can find me on Instagram, I go by the handle like I mentioned at Girl Change the World because <laughs> we can all change the world. You can follow us on Instagram, which is at Every Point One, so everything's spelled out. Our website will be launching on Tuesday, and we actually have a survey that is going live. I believe by the time that this episode launches, we still have maybe one more week left of it. If you are a woman in STEM, please complete the survey. Or if you are a woman who has purchased a technology product, a science product, please complete this. If you are, like I said, an employee, if you're involved in the development of a product, like a STEM product, please share your story. We have the survey because we want to learn what are all of the things that happen so that when we go to these companies to demand change, we know that we're not missing anything. And ultimately you sharing your story means that you're changing the game for everybody else that comes in after you. So yeah, find us either on social media, on our website. And if you can just find the time, it's a three question survey and it'll help us out a lot more, but just know that by sharing your story, there's so much power in your story. So continue sharing and Find me on the story, slide into my DM because I'll usually do a lot of behind the scenes on this is what my day is like. I share the wins and I share the lows. I keep it real with you. 
seriously, please do because you know, Lorena's schedule really has helped me being more focused and being able to do more things here on ella. So I highly recommend you follow her and just reach out and also do the serving. And thank you, Lorena, for your time. Thank you for listening or watching. I hope you really have that motivation and clarity on your entrepreneur path or not maybe your project or side business. And yes, having these things clear and knowledgeable. I hope you've written notes down because this episode is a must listen on like repeating five to 10 times. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can follow AS on Instagram at A-L-L-A-S, the podcast. We all, we're also on LinkedIn at AS podcast. Go follow us there. We can also post things and everything. And you can follow me on Instagram at friend underscore hi. That's B-R-E-N underscore J-A-I. Thank you once again for listening and watching. You can find, you can listen to a new episode in two weeks. Adios. If you've been listening to AS for a while, you know that I'm a big supporter of providing a platform for Latinas to share their stories and inspire current and future generations of women. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the lives of more amazing Latinas just like you. You can help by going to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Tell me what you think and leave any number of stars. It would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. AS is produced, hosted, and audio edited by me, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. Our video conversations are edited by Javier Ortiz Ruiz. Our logo and podcast cover art was designed by Jennifer Cepeda. And thank you to Shro, who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Streets. You can download this track on freemusicarchive.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, and follow him on Instagram. This is Say Yes. Thank you.